please take those Bibles and turn them to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. As you're doing that, let me just take a moment as we begin to kind of give you a couple of updates just uh, personally from, from me and from my family. Uh, wanted you guys to know that I uh, received um, confirmation this past week on my latest test results that I had done. I went in through for some chest x-rays to see how those lungs were progressing and stuff, uh, to which my doctor joyfully told me that there is significant improvement in my lungs with no evidence of scarring. So I am extremely thankful uh, for that reality. Um, Still working on developing the strength and the stamina. That's a little bit slow uh, in its improvement, but... It's getting better, I, I would say. Uh, the other update is, uh, personally, for, for my oldest son, Logan, uh, he just received uh, his visa uh, in the mail this past week. So that last little hurdle uh, for him to have cleared, uh, for him to go back on the mission field. Uh, for those that have listened to him and who are aware, uh, before going to Africa, he'll be spending 10 months in a language-intensive school in France, uh, working on his uh, French-speaking abilities. French is the common language there in Mali, and so that will help open up more avenues of communication uh, with the Soniki people uh, that he's ministering to. And so um, with that in hand, uh, we're looking at a departure date of just before Christmas uh, this year for him uh, to go. Uh, When asked for your prayers, your continued prayers for him. He has that final little push of fundraising support that he has to have completed. Understand that he has to raise all the funds for himself for him to be able to go on the mission field through this organization. So at this point, I believe what he lacks is $250-$300 in monthly support. So if you're interested in learning more about what it is that he does, or what it is that he's going to do, how you can become a partner, a prayer partner, or even a financial partner, he would be more than delighted to speak to you about that. If you don't know how to get a hold of him, you can surely figure out how to get a hold of me, and I would gladly get you guys connected together. Now you've had plenty of time to find yourself in Romans chapter 6. We began this journey uh, the second Sunday of this year. And so we're just now in Romans chapter 6. How long we will be in Romans? Only the Lord knows that answer. I imagine two years from now, I'll begin my message by saying, take your Bibles, open them up to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6, we pick up in verse number 14 today. Paul begins this section in almost the same way as the beginning of this chapter. I believe that he wants us Uh, to clearly understand and to have no misunderstandings about the nature of the grace of God. It is true that we have been forgiven by the grace of God. It is also true that the forgiveness that we've received by the grace of God does not give us the right to do whatever it is that we want. Rather, the forgiveness that we receive from the grace of God provides us with the opportunity to live our lives in the way that God desires. So we pick up in verse number 14 
There Paul writes and says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Verse 15 almost repeats the question that's contained in verse number 1. And Paul's response to both of those questions is with an emphatic, absolutely not. May it never be. Now, as his argument develops here, there is clearly a different matter at stake. In verse number 1, Paul was challenging the false assumption that said that sin gives God the opportunity to display His glory, so therefore, more sin equals more opportunities for God to display His glory. Now now here, the assumption that he's trying to address is that those that believe that sin, yes, is no longer our master, therefore, we can indulge in sin without being afraid of being controlled, being controlled by that sin. This is a wrong assumption to which Paul is going to address in these passages. Any attitude that welcomes sin or rationalizes sin or makes excuses for sin is not grace. Those kind of attitudes are slavery to sin itself. May we never forget that God is gracious, loving, that we have a a forgiving Father. In fact, 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9 declares that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, when the child of God falls into sin, it is the loving kindness of God that is ever willing to forgive that child of their sin. Scripture It is clear and addresses time after time and speaks to this beautiful character or nature of God when it refers to the loving kindness of our Father. A few places in Scripture I'll share with you this morning. The first one is found in Psalm 106, verse number 1. There it says, Praise the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His loving kindness... Now here, if you're reading in your translation, the word might be translated somewhat differently. Depending on your translation, it might say for His loving kindness. It might say for His love, for His faithful love, for His steadfast love, for His loyal love, or even uh, some translations render it for His mercy. So it says, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 107, verse number 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His loving kindness is everlasting. Then in Psalm 118, verses 1-4, through 4, let's, let's see if you can, can, can engage with me a little bit on, on this one. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let Israel say His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron say for His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say 
His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the church of Kingsland say, Oh, good. You paid attention. Congratulations. That was beautiful. Absolutely. For His loving kindness is everlasting. If you want to be greatly encouraged by the loving kindness of God as you're reading through Scripture, I'd point you to Psalm 136. Psalm 136. Now, we're not going to read them or that chapter today, but it has 58 verses. And every single one of those verses ends with that phrase, for His loving kindness is everlasting. So up to this point, Paul has shown that we are not saved by the law. No, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So the fact that we're saved by grace does not give us an excuse to sin. Rather, it gives us a reason to obey. Understand that sin and law go together. A passage of Scripture that I'll read for you will be on the screen. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There it says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. We understand that, that, that since we are not under the law, but we're under grace, may we understand that sin has been robbed of its strength. And so back to Romans chapter 6, picking up in verse number 16, Paul says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Here Paul is saying that you can only serve one master. Sin or God? A person is either a slave to sin or they're a slave to God. Now, with the mention of slavery, Paul's audience, his, uh, the, his listeners, they would have clearly understood the, the impact or the, the importance of what Paul was trying to say here. It is estimated that the population of Rome in the first century was at least one-third slave. At least one-third of the entire population were people who were enslaved. So great was the slave population in Rome that at one point they abandoned the idea that was being presented that they would make slaves wear their own distinct type of clothing. Uh, when the, the more they began to think about that idea, they, they quickly vacated it because they realized if they put them in a distinct style of clothing, then their numbers would be revealed to everyone and then they might be strengthened or encouraged to rebel or resist because of their numerical strength. In addition to that, many people who were free 
were individuals who had once been slaves. It is likely that more than one half of the early Roman church were either enslaved or had been enslaved. I believe it would be safe to say that there was not a member of the church at Rome who was not aware of the implications of which Paul was saying in verse number 16. And we kind of, we, I think we, we lose the, the, the power of that punch of those words in our vocabulary today without realizing this room is filled with slaves because we're all a slave to someone or something. The idea is that this room would be filled with slaves of God. But the reality is, if our clothing revealed to whom we were slaves to, we would begin to see that perhaps you're sitting next to someone who's a a slave to their work. Or who's a slave to bitterness, resentment. Who's a slave to alcohol or any other kind of addiction see either sin is your master or god is your master you either yield to sin or you yield to god there are no other options there's no other choices and verse number 17 says but thanks be to god that though you were slaves of sin You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. See, for those who belong to God, who are children of God, we we used to be slaves to sin. Before accepting the gift of salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ, All believers were enslaved to sin. Paul deals with this aspect in chapters 1 and in chapter 2. But now, we're no longer slaves of sin. Now, we have a new master. And Paul writes that you became obedient from the heart. Some of your translations render it, you wholeheartedly obeyed to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Now, the form of teaching entrusted to the Roman believers was the good news that Jesus died for our sins and that He was raised from the dead in order to give us a newness of life. And I think Paul captures that that form of teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn there quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The passage is a bit too lengthy for me to put it on the screens, but I want you to see and to hear the teaching to which Paul mentions in his letter to the Corinthian church, Paul beautifully summarizes this form of teaching. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse number 1. It says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which you also stand by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And here's the message. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
And that He was buried. And that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And after that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. But some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, He also appeared to me. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace towards me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Now going back to his writing to the church in Rome, Look in chapter 6 again. I want you to look at how uh, Paul describes their obedience to the teaching to which they received. Again, verse number 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Now, based upon your translations, it'll, it'll... capture that slightly differently, but very beautifully. I'll give you some examples. The New Living Translation renders verse number 17 as, thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching that we have given you. The New International Version says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. That's awesome. Uh, Look at the New King James Version. It says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. One more example, the English Standard Version says, But thanks be to God that though, uh, I'm sorry, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Understand, to obey from the heart, to wholeheartedly obey, obey means to give oneself fully, wholly, and completely unto God. You can't give a portion of yourself to Him and hold on to the rest for yourself. That's not how it works. To obey from the heart means to give oneself fully to God. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. He captures it. He understands. I'm on the wrong verse. In verse number 18, right, go back to Romans 6. Look at verse 18. Romans 6, 18, it says, And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. We've exchanged masters now, right? So we have a new allegiance to to obey the thing that sits over us. It is impossible for us to be neutral. 
Every person has a master. Your master is either God or it's sin. Now while it's true a believer is still capable of sinning, they are no longer a slave to sin. Because they belong to God. We're His children. And as he continues to write, in verse number 19, he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to to righteousness. So when people are enslaved to sin, they are held in bondage to a master that seeks to destroy their lives. Here, Paul repeats the analogy that he uses from verses 16 through 18. In verse number 17, he explains that those who used to be slaves of sin, well, they would act in impurity and in lawlessness. And in verse number 18, he explains that for the child of God, for the believer, those who have been set free from sin, well, they can now act in righteousness that results in sanctification. And sanctification refers to the progressive goal of salvation. Sanctification is our growth into people who exhibit more and more the character of Christ in how we live and what we do and how we speak and how we respond to people and the circumstances that we face in life. So, so looking again at verse 20, it says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And please don't don't misunderstand the last part of this verse. The freedom that people experience when they were slaves to sin is the antithesis to genuine freedom. To be free in regard to righteousness does not mean that as sinners we are free from the obligation to be righteous. No, what it means is that we were free from the desire or the inner sense of responsibility to pursue righteousness. That that free from righteousness could be rendered absent of righteousness. I think the the prodigal son gives us a, a beautiful example of that reality. If you're not familiar with that story, I'd encourage you to read uh, later today, Luke chapter 15. When the prodigal son was at home, it was then and there that he decided that he wanted his freedom. He left home to find himself, to enjoy his life, to do his thing his way. He wanted his independence. But, but his rebellion only led him deeper into slavery. Soon, he became a slave of wrong desires. Then he became a slave to wrong deeds. And then ultimately and finally, he became a literal slave as he was feeding the pigs. It was, 
in a false sense of this pursuit of freedom that what he found instead of freedom was a worse kind of slavery. It was only then when he repented and submitted himself and returned to his father that he found true freedom. My my hope and my desire is that today that you'll understand that genuine freedom is found only through loving obedience unto God. That is how to be truly free. To lovingly obey our Father. And John Wesley captured that the essence of that reality very beautifully. He once said that we must love God before we can be holy at all. This being the root of all holiness. What's the root of all holiness? Our love for God. But then he says, now we cannot love God till we know that He loves us. It's how we respond to the love of God. And so, back in Romans 6, verse 21 now. He says, therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Here, the question is, what good did you reap from living that life of sin? And and the obvious answer is none. Nothing. Nothing good comes from it. In fact, the immediate result or the immediate benefit was more and more sin. That's what you reap. That's what verse number 19 says. So the immediate benefit of reaping sin is more and more sin. The final benefit of that is death. Eternal separation. But verse 22 says, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. So having been freed from sin is not just Freedom from the penalty of sin, justification, right? That's true. That happens at the beginning of salvation. We are rendered legally, like, innocent of all charges against us. Not because of us, but all because of Jesus, right? So we've been justified, but that's not it. It also leads to more. This freedom also includes freedom from the power that sin has over our lives or the power that sin used to have over our lives. And so our slavery to sin gave us no good benefit at all. And as slaves to God, the benefit that we receive is holiness or or sanctification. Slavery to sin results in eternal death. Slavery to God results in eternal life. I want you to understand that three times in this chapter alone, three times in chapter 6, Paul writes that sin results in death. He does it in verse 16, verse 21, and you'll see it again just shortly in verse 23. Then two times he tells us that believers have been set free from sin. That's verse 18 and verse number 22. Two times, we're told that we are no longer slaves to sin. 
verse 6 and verse 20. Two times he tells us that, that we are slaves to righteousness. That's verse 16 and verse 18. So since we have been made alive unto God, verse number 11. So since we've been made alive to God and have been given eternal life, that's going to be in verse number 23. Then, then therefore, we should present all that we are and all that we have unto the Father. That's verses 13 and verse number 19. We do that because sin is no longer our master. That's great news. Sin's no longer our master. That's the reality that's told to us in verse 6, verse 14, verse 22. But now we get to, to one of the most treasured passages of all of Scripture. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, a laborer, well, they receive their wages. You work for something and you receive your compensation based upon how you worked, right? But as a laborer receives their wages, so too shall sin receive its wage. Just as it would be completely unfair not to pay a laborer their their wage, it is just as unfair not to pay sin for its work. And so in fact if if sin did not receive its just payment, I believe that that would be one of the greatest injustices of all history. Why? Because sin goes against God directly. Therefore, sin must die. Sin must be forever removed from the presence of God. That's why it says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice that eternal life is not a payment of wages, which means that you cannot work for eternal life. You cannot earn eternal life. You cannot pass eternal life onto someone else. You cannot be born physically into eternal life. No, eternal life is a gift of God. And this gift is only offered through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's it. That's the only way that we can receive eternal life. That's the beauty of the Gospel. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Current recipients of that life. So the main point here is the sharp contrast that exists in the nature of the rewards that are given either to the slave of sin or to the slave of God. So the slave of sin receives their just wages. Oh, it's fair what they receive. It's just. It's right. But the slave of God, they receive a gift. And our choice between slavery to sin and slavery to God in the end 
is a choice between receiving what you deserve or receiving that free gift of eternal life. The gift in which not one of us deserves it, but by the grace of God, it is extended. So uh, although eternal life is free to us, eternal that free gift was not free to God. That gift was paid for, was purchased, was bought with the life and death of our Savior. And in receiving that gift of salvation, then what is the only proper way to respond? One is to accept that gift. And two, as recipients of that gift, it is to fully give all that we are and all that we have to honor and to glorify Him. That's the challenge for all of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us in this moment. Help us to understand right here and right now who our Master is. For some... We're still enslaved to sin. We're enslaved to bitterness and jealousy and anger and resentment. We're we're enslaved to our own personal desires, wishes, and wants. Father, I pray that your Spirit would bring conviction into all of our lives. Help us to all understand that we all have great room of improvement. For those that don't belong to You, Father, I pray that Your Spirit would bring about salvation in their lives. For those of us that belong to You, I pray that Your Spirit would bring conviction over our sin. Father, help us to see our sin so clearly to grieve over it, to mourn over it, to confess it, to repent from it. Father, instead of being so active and pointing out all the sins of everyone else all around us, Father, may we look within ourselves today. What is it that we are doing or what is it that we have done that is a holy offense unto You? What is it that You've called us to do but we failed to do and what do we need to seek repentance from though? In this moment, Father, help us all to make a decision that honors and glorifies you. Help us not rush through this, but with great patience and prayer, help us to respond the way that brings you the greatest glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.